This Westwards mini masterclass is a production of Westwards, the Western Sydney Literature Organisation. For more information on Westwards and what we do, please go to westwards.com.au. Welcome to the Westwards Mini Masterclass. My name is James Roy. I am Program Manager at Westwards. I'm currently talking to Ali Burnham, who is our creative producer. How are you, Ali? I am good. Thanks for having me. So congratulations are in order. You um, recently, last week, uh, won an Augie. What's an Augie? That's like a Logie, but for writer people, isn't it? Is it? <laughs> it's a Logie, but better. Oh. No. Um, so the uh, the Augie Awards are the Australian Writers Guild uh, annual awards. And uh, the point of difference for the Augies is they like to pride themselves that they judge just the script. So your works do have to be produced, um, but you submit the script, they read the script, and that's what the judging process is, just the screenplay. Over what, what medium or media are we talking about? Are we talking film, TV, what else? Yeah, so the Australian Writers Guild are... So if the ASA is for... Um, graphic novels and authors out there. The Australian Writers Guild exists for performative writing. So those are your screenplays, your audio dramas and your theatricals. Mm. Your, your, your theatre as well fall under the banner of the Australian Writers Guild. And what was... I've seen your org. It's very impressive. I, I didn't touch it. It's still in its little box and I don't think... It's, it had some fingerprints on it. None of them are mine. I want to hasten to add. So what was yours for in terms of... Um, yeah, so what, what, what's... Uh, so mine was uh, Most Outstanding Animation. Uh, they, so they have a few different categories uh, in that they differentiate themselves. So there's, I think there's two children's, writing for children's categories, and sometimes animation falls into that. But my category was just the strict animation category, which then bleeds over to, into more like adult audience animation for adults, which is what my project was, which was Metropius. It was the a, the twenty minute short film we made. That's an animated film. <laughs> yes, uh, that one was actually created through Unreal Engine. So. And that for uh, that's. Now, I've played, done a bit of gaming in the past. Yeah. That's, that's a gaming engine, isn't it? Primarily it is. That, that's what it's famous for. Uh, a lot of games are built in the Unreal Engine by game developers. Uh, but recent years, uh, it's been getting more and more traction uh, in filmmaking because it's a, a very easy streamlined process for mocap. So where you can get actors in on a soundstage put little dots on them. Uh, you can film them and that goes straight that data goes straight into the Unreal Engine and then the animators have these models that they can then paint onto and put their models onto. So uh, animation, how, how does animation or the screenplay for an animation differ from a regular... Because you, you've, you've been nominated for Norgie before for your, your feature film... Unsound. Unsound, yes. Which is on Netflix, go and check it out. How do, how do your... Screenplays differ when you're writing for animated film. Um, it, in terms of raw craft, didn't change too dramatically how I approached it. Um, but I guess it, it was fun that different 
restraints were in the back of my mind as I was writing. So I guess with anything that's live action, you're always quietly keeping track of, oh, that's potentially a VFX shot. Oh, want to avoid that as a VFX shot, Uh, just because you know that a producer will be uh, counting all those and being like, look, no, we don't, we don't have the budget for this rain scene you've decided to write. <laughs> we, we can't do that. Um, well, it was almost uh, wonderfully freeing with animation because I'm just putting stuff into the big print that's like, then there were giant skyscrapers and there were trams everywhere and fun little gadgets. Make them look more like 70s rather than 80s. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All this beeping and whirring because uh, we're in diesel punk as a genre. So I could just go nuts there. But the new restraints in the back of my mind was we could only work with so many characters uh, because they could only model... We only had an animation budget for so many character models, uh, only had a budget for so many location models that they could build. And if there was a way to reuse those assets they would be building in the re, uh, in the Unreal Engine, then that's that's beneficial for the producers. So I, I was kind of thinking in that sense. So when, when you say a budget for characters, you mean for pay for the actual people who get in the suit with the little dots and do that stuff? Oh, no, no, I'm talking about the, the, the actual digital model. So the, the digital skin you put over the top of the actor in the mocap. So you buy those <laughs> ready prepared, do you? Uh, well, you, you, you ask or the enemy... Yeah, you commission the animators to build the the digital skin. Mm-hmm. Um, they they go away. They build. They they, they design it two D. Like the, the good old process starts hand drawn. I've seen all the wonderful hand drawn uh, character designs, and it's back and forth with the director. Uh, once they agree on the hand drawn design, then it goes into the computer, um, and then that that digital skin is produced, um, and then that's what gets overlaid on top of the actor's performance after they shoot it in studio. <laughs> well, I've, seen some, I've seen some of those digital skins, mm. you know, as, on the screen, and they don't really look much like a person, do they? No. They're, they're very <laughs> oddly shaped. Um, I guess the, the, the question I wanted to ask you was, in terms of the difference between the way these things are written but also the way they're made, it, it seems to me from what you've said that if you're going to be doing something like this animated, you need to have everything squared away in terms of shots and storyboarding whereas and, and all that all that detail whereas if you're shooting live action if you've got enough budget somebody can throw in a line that makes the director go actually I prefer that line let's play with that let's work with that and then goes to the editor and the editor starts to actually make some real some real changes based on what they see in front of them is that a fair Assessment? I think so, yeah. The, the room for impro um, on a live-action film set uh, is endless as long as you have shooting hours budgeted in your day. And and you're right, the idea that the film can be rewritten in the edit suite with all that extra raw footage that just happens to get captured while animation... Look, there's a bit more freedom by doing it in this Unreal Engine mocap way because mm. the, the actors are technically on set so the director can be like oh maybe we'll just do it a bit different but you still have the very set location like you're not going to be able to pick up the desk and really move the desk around if you've modeled for the desk to sit there in that part of the digital room you're building that's pretty locked in you can't you can't move that stuff around um and and it's very economic in terms of 
dialogue. Uh, so again, I feel like these are all the same principles you could say of a normal live action screenplay in that you have to be economic with dialogue, but I feel like it's just a little bit more heightened, even with animation. The screws are just a little bit tighter on the less di say what you need to say with as minimal dialogue as possible. Communicate what you need to communicate with as many economic shots as possible. It's just, yeah. And, and is it fair to say, I guess this is a summed up version of what I was just asking, is that you don't really start making it until everything is kind of prepared and ready to go? Yeah, um, yeah yes and no. So you, you are going to have all those character models. You are going to have most of the sets. Uh, so, yes, that, that would all be built before you get to the studio. But a lot of the, the, the final stitching can only really start to happen once you've, you have the mo-capped performance. Like, I've seen some of the early like what it looks like when you put it, when you plug it straight in and it's just, you get weird flappy mouths and the arms aren't moving and it's, they're just moving like the clay dolls around the set. I remember on Monsters <laughs> Inc, on, on, I think the, the special features on Monsters Inc, they have a, an example of what happens if you, if your programming algorithm <laughs> get a little bit wrong, I don't know if you've seen it, but there's Sully rolling down the hill yeah. and his, his fur is like these, Hundred foot long spikes. <laughs> yeah, you know. yeah. Just one glitch one and it all glitch, goes one, wrong. One, yeah. one, one column's wrong in your spreadsheet. That's all over. Yes. So yeah. the hours that go into then just tweaking it once you have the basics, so it you don't have a hundred looks spiny monstrosity when you just want to have an arm picking a mug off the desk. I suppose. I mean, <laughs> the gaming that I've done, I, I have on occasion the maps that get created by other people and put in the in the game you'll often find glitches in there and then mm. some people will be underneath the underneath the ground Fall shooting the up floor. at you know, <laughs> yeah. all, that, all that stuff i guess i guess um you can kind of bypass all that in a in a film setting because you just watch it and watch for the yes the yeah there's no chance that it might in real time go wrong you can just keep tweaking it once you have the the set but but even then I, i've talked to the producers so dan MacArthur and mel paul and and i think they like all filmmakers, when they go back and watch their own thing, they only see the mistakes. Mm. Um, and I, I've heard Mel say before that all she can see is, like, the blinking and how the blinking's sometimes timed weird and it bothers her that the blinks aren't right. And most people are going to watch it and not look for that, but she's just like, all I can see is the, the odd blinks <laughs> that we never quite could get the timing of correctly. <laughs> so how long is, how long is Metropius? Uh, so yeah, this is a 20 minute animation. We wrote this as a proof of concept, almost as an episode one to a series, uh, but it was quite nebulous because it, it basically we just needed to make something so we could go around and shop it, uh, take it to production companies, take it to producers. Um, and like we've had, I don't know, it's all, it's all in progress. Uh, we, there have been really fun conversations um, over in the States um, and here at home as well. Um, but it, it's kind of in motion at the moment whether or not the next logical step is to proceed with a series or maybe this wants to be a feature. So that's all those conversations are literally like happening right now. Um, the project is expanding in multiple directions. Um, so I guess uh, some inside information for people interested in pitching and if you wanted to pitch an idea how that all works. Um, a lot of the feedback our team got when we were pitching 
uh, for something that was like this, they, they wanted to ask about the pre-existing audience. Um, they're like, oh, s- we, we, we trust there's an audience out there for us, but they're like, do, do you come with a pre-existing audience who already has eyes on your product? Uh, so that inspired the creators to go away and start branching into um, making a board game. Uh, we, I wrote the first four issues of a prequel comic book series. Um, the first comic book is out for that. The second one will be out very soon and we'll compile all that into a graphic novel size thing at the end. So that that's expanding the story in another direction. Um, there's a, a small... At the moment, it's a small kind of like one of those mobile platformer games is in development. Mm. So it's just branching in all these directions because we, we know our audience. We know who we are. they are. Um, I said we because <laughs> I'm into it too. All the, those genre things are really cool. The video game things, the animations. The, the, this audience doesn't consume media just through one one way. Um, so, yeah, the producers are working on it, writing, writing for all these mediums and I get to have so much fun writing for all these mediums. And this is us creating an audience so when it gets pitched to the bigger companies with bigger money we can be like here's our product uh here's the augie award and here's the audience and then that's how that's how you get the pitch through <laughs> but when you um you had the vision for the film first mm-hmm. and then you went away and i guess the word advisedly backfilled with some other stuff yeah. I guess. did you were you concerned that certain style stylistic stuff would be embedded in the the backfilled elements and force you to change the way the final film was made or or do you just accept that we'll just change it as we need to oh yeah that's such a good question um because yeah we're writing prequel stuff with the comics i'm I'm locking myself into a certain canon with the story Mm, mm. um and i would love to be I would love to keep it canon and keep it true. And I, I'm trying to, at every step of the way, write it in a way that I'm not writing myself into any corners, um, yet still creating compelling story with satisfying, you know, drama and stakes and make that prequel work and yet still have my story bible for the TV show lined up, ready to go with, you know, equal weighty stakes, if that makes sense. Not trying to undermine these stakes by telling a parallel different story in the same world. So that's tricky puzzle piecing I'm doing and trying to get that right. Um, In a perfect world, I do manage to get it right, so I don't have to renege on anything. It all stays canon. It all stays the same universe and the characters stay the same. Um, Though in saying that already... There's a good chance that Lucy, the daughter character in the animation, is sitting in around, she's about a 14, 13, 14 year old in the animation. There's already plans that if we, um, where we move the story next, she'll be 18. Um, but there's still a way that I can make that timeline work. That's just me going away being like, what happened in these years? And make sure the world evolves from here to here in that, and give Lucy time to grow up between the two stories rather than starting it in the same place. So um, I, I kind of enjoy that ongoing puzzle this mm. is, but we do have a lot of, like the, the Bible's huge. We've got a lot of story there. We've been working on it for almost too long. Well, like, like any, any form of evolution though, it doesn't, ev- evolution doesn't occur, whether we're talking biological or <laughs> social or cultural, whatever, evolution doesn't occur with a goal in mind. It just, mm. it just happens. Yeah. You know, you think about, I was going to say the four Toy Story movies. We'll, we'll 
put four aside, number four aside because it, it's really mm. not part of that, that big arc. But Toy Story 1, 2, 3. By the time we get to Toy Story 3, the level of animation mm-hmm. is just off the hook, right? Yes. And you look back at version 1 and you go, look, for the time it was very impressive, but it hasn't aged. Doesn't like, well, quite. It looks, looks very kind of, you can almost see the pixels, right? <laughs> is that a concern or do you just accept that the technology may take us to something that we haven't played with before. Oh, yeah. I think if it would let the style evolve. Um, oh, absolutely. I, I think Dan MacArthur's the kind of director who will be embracing the next biggest thing regardless. Um, so in terms of a visual style and, and even with the comic books, uh, we've had a wonderful time working with David um, but there's a good chance that uh, David will remain for the layouts, but we might be getting another artist in to do, like, final touches. So it'll be more of a collab that's happening with the final comics. So the comic, even the comic style may evolve slightly, and it's kind of embracing that as rather than happy accident, or oh, now there's an opportunity to weave that in as a creative choice and finding the narrative reason why the style might change um, and I, I'm always up for that game of oh well, what, what's how can we adjust how can we make that work um, because then you have yeah. something like Sin City by Frank yes. Miller where he basically went actually I, I want this to be a big homage to mm. the way it looked in the 60s when I first or whenever <laughs> when I first drew these yeah um, I guess that's the <laughs> that's kind of what you're hoping for isn't it to have such a such trope built into mm. what you've got that you can always just sort of bounce back onto that and, and not feel like it's being dragged in a different direction. Yeah, I I think so. I, I think there's a strong visual style that's now been laid down, but whatever, like, permutations of it come next, I think is natural and probably will be embraced as a part of the project. So, finally, um, I remember when when uh, Kathy Bates won her Oscar for <laughs> Misery. Mm. I remember her speech when she stood up and she plonked her Oscar on the top of the lectern <laughs> and she said, um, anytime anyone asks me in the future for my resume, this is it, bang. <laughs> yeah. Is that sort of how you feel about your Rogi? A little bit, yes. <laughs> do, you, do, you, do you anticipate, I don't want to sort of anything, but do you anticipate that it, it does open doors, something like this? Um, I think that's up to me. Um, now's the time for me to hustle. Like, I could sit back and do nothing and it will come of nothing. Um, but now that I have this and the opportunity of having it, if that makes sense, mm. um, I would... Uh, now's my time to hustle and reach out to people. Um, Before and next year's list is announced. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've, got, I've, got, I've got 12 months to write it. <laughs> well, at least 12 months to make some... Make some appointments and some calls. Yes, right? yeah, yeah. yeah. So, Get in the room. It's about being in the room, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, but yeah, no. Now, now's the time to knock on some doors. Uh, so I, that yes, that's on yeah. me. <laughs> well, we wish you all the very best in knocking on those doors and hope that they open by friendly faces with lots of money in there. <laughs> best case scenario. In their wallets. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Ali Vernon, for talking to us. Wonderful. Thank you.